0: Sometimes you have the great fortune to meet someone who's quite unassuming, enormously humble, but they're blazing a trail for both themselves and for others to follow. And the fact that they're so humble and unassuming means that they don't even realise it themselves. That's exactly the experience I had when I met Emma Conway. Born in Glasgow and educated at Cambridge University, Emma discovered an early love for engineering and followed her gut. She's now been identified as one of the top 100 women in the energy transition and one of the top 10 in the professional services category. So join me on a potted history of Emma's journey so far and let's learn a little more about a woman at the forefront of the energy transition. This is Spark Generation. Hi, Emma. Welcome to Spark Generation. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Jo. Um, Really pleased to have you here. Um, To kick us all off, can you tell us a little
1: bit about yourself and who
0: you share your life with?
1: Gosh, yes. Um, So, hello, I'm uh, Emma. I'm uh, 47. I live in Glasgow. I'm married to Andrew. Um been married for 24 years. I cannot believe that. Yeah. Um, I've got two children. Uh, my son Alex is 17 and I've got Julia who's 10. And a recent addition to our household are two cats that arrived in August. So that's that's us.
0: Right. Okay. Nice little nice little family unit you've got there. Yeah, yeah. Um you always did you always live in Glasgow? Is that where you grew up?
1: I grew up in Glasgow, yes. I haven't always lived in Glasgow. I um, spent a bit of time living in England, um, beginning of my life and in university. And then I also worked in England for a few years after graduating, but we're back in Glasgow now. Yeah. Right. So most okay. of my life. Um. So
0: you went to Cambridge University, if I'm not yep. mistaken, uh, to study engineering. And although I hate to say it, really, really hate to say it. <laughs> Um, it was let's say a less common choice of uh career path for women especially um not to make you sound old saying back in
1: them days <laughs> but,
0: but you know what what was it that attracted you to enge- engineering did you face any barriers at that point when you made that decision do
1: you know I I think I I was quite lucky um in my in in the support i got uh, firstly through the school um i always loved maths chemistry and and physics at school and my careers teacher i remember my careers teacher mrs riki it just so happened that her husband was a chemical engineer so through her i had some work experience and loved it um so she she put me on the sort of the, the path to to doing mm-hmm. chemical engineering um i do remember my parents being totally bemused by by this <laughs> and uh, thought thought thought. Mm, is this? I, I don't think they weren't concerned. That's a bit too strong. But they just wanted to really make sure that I was making the right choice. So I remember my dad's organised for a friend of his to sit me down <laughs> and run through it, and maybe perhaps persuade me that marketing might be a more <laughs> a better career choice. Um. So uh, but yeah, I just that just went in one year and out the other. I wanted to do chemical engineering and that was it. And I remember meeting that f- my dad's friend fairly recently, a few years ago, um, and we were laughing about it and he said, gosh, I'm glad that marketing chat didn't turn out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's really odd though, isn't it? Because I think as parents we can kind of identify with it in that we just kind of we want we want what's best for our children. And we want them to be able to achieve, but we equally don't, you know, we're concerned when we feel like they might face other difficulties in life that maybe they don't need to. And yeah. we're just kind of foreseeing that kind of thing of thinking, this is going to be like, she's going to face a few challenges and a few difficulties with this, but... yeah. That's-
1: um,
0: I just, I just really admire the fact, you know, by the time I got to sixteen, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do with my oh, life. So, I'm really kind of envious of people that are kind of quite clear early on that yeah. they, you know, they have a passion and they want to follow it, and and that's kind of really quite admirable. I think. Oh gosh,
1: well, I think it's lucky <laughs> more than admirable. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I know that um, I'm I'm going through it at the moment with my son. He's looking at uh, university choices, and thankfully, he's he's figured out what he wants to do but it's not easy it's not yeah. easy and sometimes you never you, you don't figure out what you want to do until you're much older and yeah i think that's okay as well though that is it? totally okay and um, i think i think um uh you know it's always like what do you want to be when you grow up but you actually you don't really get to you don't really you don't really grow up you keep growing don't you yeah
0: exactly and this and absolutely okay with kind of starting out on a path of thinking that you want to do something and changing like halfway through your life and going to something completely different I think the world's different now these days isn't it whereas maybe previous generations were like I've got to choose a path and then that's it for the rest of my life that's going to be my day in day out but but the world's different these days and people can choose different things
1: yeah which is great.
0: Um, yeah, so so you went through university at Cambridge and then stepped into the world of work. Mm. Um, you've been with Kent now and its former identity as Atkins Oil and Gas for almost 20 years. Yes. Uh, what What are some of the cha- main changes that you've seen in that, that time?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, I think... I, I think... I think culture... And corporate culture has changed a lot in that time. I remember uh, joining the safety team, as you say, twenty years ago, and I feel that um, what I was joining was a local, quite autonomous team, very successful mm-hmm. little team, um, part of a wider company. But that you know, we had our own culture, and it was um, it was a very uh, family it, it felt quite like a family almost um and i don't remember um, there probably was uh, emails and so on from from and, and systems that we had to use that were corporate but i don't remember so much of that and i think as time has gone on um corporate identity has become a lot stronger um you know values that corporate you know, corporate values are sort of embedded all the way through and You know, as a result, we're it's no longer part of a local team. We're part of a bigger, a bigger team, a bigger corporate team. Does it feel corporate though, or do you feel like,
0: even though it's part of a bigger, more global team, do you lose that sense of of sort of family identity, or does it still have a
1: place? Um, I, I, I don't, I don't. I quite like in Kent I like the Kent family you know we talk about the Kent family and I quite like that because that I think that is retaining some of that feel um I think what we've maybe lost and I was thinking about this because the way that corporations have evolved over the years I think is also in part due to the way technology has changed as well yeah I remembered you know, when I first started, we all sat in the office, we all had desk phones. And mm. if somebody's phone rang and they weren't there, somebody else would answer it. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it was the wife or the husband of the colleague and you'd have a small chat with them, or maybe it was a client and you took a message. Um, And I feel that that certainly changed. We don't have yeah. that anymore. We've, we've got teams. um which maybe has meant that that's lost but at the same time that opens up the world of flexible working so
0: it does and you're also although it's it's there's a balance isn't there because you know the world of working seems to feel especially since the beginning of last year a lot more virtual than it ever was mm. but at the same time because we've all got used to working with things like teams and zoom and all of that kind of stuff and it's it's all about these kind of video conversations it's almost like you're invited into that person's home
1: well that's and i true. feel like
0: i know a lot more about my colleagues and i've met their families virtually not yes. in person yes. but i've seen their pets i've seen what their houses look like you've seen you've their children often, wandering in yes yeah, exactly you've quite often got those little interruptions and i love that that yeah. makes it feel a lot a lot more personal even though you're not physically there in the room with them you're getting to see a little bit more about their personal lives rather than just the work lives
1: that is a very good point and we have retained that which is great yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. um yeah
0: and I guess over the past 20 years, your life personally has changed quite drastically because you've had two children within that time as well. Yeah. Um, how did that impact on on your kind of working life throughout, during that period of, you know, so many changes going on with your, with your personal life as well? Well,
1: I think I was... Pretty lucky, actually, in that um, I took I took two maternity leaves, but but came back full time both times. Um, my husband uh, works for himself and is a lot more oh. flexible. Um, well, I'm flexible now too, but a lot more flexible then, and uh, that allowed us, um, or allowed me to, um, you know, uh, continue and come back full time, and and yeah. But, it, 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 I think it, I had it a little bit easier than than some. I know some of my um, uh, family who, who who were both partners work full time. It's a lot more difficult, yeah. or it can be.
0: Yeah, it can be a real juggling act. Yeah. Um. And and the industry in general over the past twenty years has has yeah. changed dramatically. Especially, I feel like I don't. I mean, you might see this differently because obviously you you um. You work, and the Atkins Oil and Gas team as well were were always kind of quite progressive in terms of the, the the parts of the market that they work in. But I feel like over the last couple of years, in particular, the industry is okay. sharp focused, going through a really, really
1: significant transition. I I can't believe the pace of change in the last few years. Um, I mean, I think for a long time we were an oil and gas team and now the range of um, new energy markets we're getting into and the exciting you know first-of-a-kind projects we're getting involved in it's just it's just exploded really yeah
0: it's
1: really exciting really interesting work it is it is (laughs)
0: Uh, you mentioned just a bit earlier on that you, you work in a very specific kind of engineering discipline as a as a safety engineer. Mm. For those of us that don't know the technical aspects of it, can you describe a little bit more about what that means and like the type of work that you do?
1: Yeah. So um we work with um as part of projects who are um designing, building a process plant or a manufacturing facility, or we work with clients who are already operating. A facility like that and we help them manage, manage it safely, make sure it's designed to operate safely, make sure that hazards are identified and risks to people, to the environment are reduced to as low as they, they can be. Um, so really looking at what can go wrong with a process and making sure there are um, inherently safer design decisions made or that the safeguards in place um effectively present prevent an accident occurring or mitigate its consequences. So it's all about ensuring safety. Do
0: you find that your team comes in as part of um a project that the wider team has already won and you're kind of a supplementary service to that or do you does the safety team win projects sort of on their own as a standalone service that the rest of the, it, the It's um,
1: it's it's increasingly or? both. I would say that for a long time we were in the sort of consultancy um, work where we won our own projects. So we we, we conducted a bespoke safety study for a client, um, either a client who was operating an asset or, or was designing it. Increasingly, we're getting involved in multidisciplinary projects that the wider company has won. And we are the safety discipline and uh, working alongside our engineers, from other disciplines so it's increasingly both.
0: Can you tell us some of the projects that you've worked on in recent years because I imagine the kind of um, as we move through this transition sort of getting a little bit more interesting as well. Yeah
1: well I feel as if in the last uh, well two years certainly since lockdown I've worked on three very interesting projects all from my (laughs) Oh, from my spare room here. Um, <laughs> the first is um, HINET, which, uh, as you know, is um, uh, aiming to be a, a net zero cluster in the northwest of England. So I'm mm-hmm. uh, looking at producing hydrogen to be used as fuel and capturing carbon dioxide from emitters in that area. So I was the safety engineer on our team to um, that were designing uh, the the low carbon hydrogen plant and carbon capture unit at SR refinery.
0: Right.
1: So that was great. Um I also was involved in a project to develop um one of the first gigafactories in the UK that make is going to make um, lithium batteries for electric vehicles. Oh, um, helping the client there navigate through the various safety legislation that's required of a of a plant of that type Um, and now I'm currently on secondment to an offshore wind project um, doing exactly what I was saying earlier about ensuring that hazards are identified risks are assessed and safeguards are put in place for for the offshore wind farm and so that's like bringing bringing what I've done in other industries to um the offshore wind industry which is great.
0: Yeah do you feel like the skills are kind of quite transferable because you I mean if you say in there that you've worked on traditionally it was always kind of oil and gas energy type projects but there you've just mentioned three projects that very very clearly sit within what the world would think of um, sort of renewable energy type projects. Mm. Um, is are the skills that you have within your team kind of quite transferable across the different for the industry.
1: I think they're totally transferable. I think, you know, it's all about methodical processes to um to, to do what we do. And it doesn't really matter what the, the industry is or the process is. Obviously, you've got a bit of learning to do to be familiar with whatever process is involved in the project. But the techniques, I think, are totally transferable. They're the same. Um, they, they might need to be adapted slightly, but it's um, yeah, it's, it's totally transferable. Yeah, and when we talk about first
0: of a kind projects, the HyNet project in particular is is absolutely that, isn't it? It's got a lot of um, a lot of attention. It's got government backing, and mm. when we talk about um, hydrogen as a form of energy, it's probably a little a little more behind the curve than things like solar onshore wind, offshore wind. Um, so we really kind of are at the beginning of that whole phase of, of of bringing in a new form of energy to the world, which is really exciting, isn't it? It is. It is.
1: Gosh, I sometimes think, what you know, in 100 years' time, uh, looking back, what's the world going to be like? And uh, all these projects, all these initial projects, pave the way. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think we need to look in 100 years' time because
0: it needs to happen a lot so quicker, quicker yeah. Be, um, yeah, Yeah, hopefully by the time our children's generation is is um, kind of up there in the workforce that, you know, they'll be working on these things as, as this the is norm. just the standard. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so all of this great work that you've been doing um, just recently is just one new um a nomination a really excited nomination actually hasn't it yeah <laughs> um so yeah it's, it's when you were a nomination as um one of the top 100 women in energy transition and one of the top 10 in the professional services category um so you and your peers are described as if you don't mind me saying the trailblazers the entrepreneurs the women getting busy uh Getting things done and not stopping to celebrate their achievements, but I believe this nomination came as a bit of a pleasant surprise to you.
1: Well, yes, it it did. Um, I I remember uh, my my colleague that I've known for over well, for twenty years, and she's my line manager, Lisa. Happened to um, mention in passing to me uh, a good well, no, maybe a few months ago that she was nominating me for for an, an award and I said oh right okay thank you <laughs> have a good weekend and that was it um, and then and then out of the blue I, I received an email about it and uh, so yeah I was yeah very very nice totally surprised but
0: yeah you're such a humble person <laughs> you, don't, you don't like kind of uh, boasting about these things but it's absolutely something know. to boast about um, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read back to you a couple, a little bit of what Lisa put in her nomination when she nominated you because I went to Lisa and asked her what she'd actually said. Oh. Um, I think last time we spoke, you were like, "I've not even asked. I've not even asked." Her what no, she <laughs> I never thought to. No, no. <laughs> um, so she said, Emma is an exceptional engineering consultant. She's hugely knowledgeable and a great communicator. She listens to what the client needs, builds trusted relationships and helps solve problems. She's a perfect example of transferring skills developed in the oil and gas industry to a range of projects in the energy transition market. She's enthusiastic about the challenges of energy transition and training more junior engineers to work alongside her. That's really nice, isn't it? It is, it is. Thanks, Lisa. (laughs) Um, So I know the Kent teams in the UK have great coaching and development culture. Uh, bringing through the next generation of future engineers is this something that you find particularly fulfilling now in your role
1: i do i do actually i um i think there's there's nothing better than getting a junior engineer involved right from the beginning of a project um even when perhaps there's no specific tasks for them to do right away but just getting involved coming along to client meetings or project meetings understanding the context and then starting to really help out in these projects and do really good work and I think it's fulfilling for me to see that they're fully engaged and enjoying it and uh, getting so much out of it um, so I think that's 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 the fulfilling part um, I've made mistakes in that in the past. I mean, I think if giving a, a junior engineer a, a specific task to do on a project without maybe understanding the wider context is is less fulfilling for them and me. They've got to really get involved and take ownership for their part in the project, and and that's uh, I, I, and then and then you know it's a real help it's not just fulfilling but it actually takes a little bit of pressure off um mm. because you've got somebody to help and who knows what they're doing
0: did you have a different experience when you first came into the world of work like how has that changed do you think over the years or has it has it not changed did you find that did you have particular people that you felt kind of mentored and helped you um when you first started off in the industry or did you find that a bit of a struggle so now you're trying to sort of you know implement things for the junior engineers in a different way the way that you would have liked to have
1: been mentored yourself goodness that's a difficult one I don't really I think um, I think I remember my first job before joining Atkins Kent. Now um, was with a a design contractor as a process engineer and the the boss I had then was um, was very good at um, talking me through and describing tasks and giving me the technical guidance I needed. He was he was great, um, and I think I yeah I, I I can't think of anyone. I feel as if I I like to get stuck in myself and take ownership. Um, yeah. And I think that's the answer. Um, and ask questions. Demand if you need help, ask for it uh, from yeah. whoever can give you it, rather than yeah. um, having a specific mentor, really, because because that could depend on the project. You know who's yeah, who yeah, you're yeah. who you're needing to get guidance from depends on whatever project you're working on. Yeah.
0: So you really kind of just approach it as to what what would I want to experience or what would I want to know, and just trying to give as much knowledge as is is humanly possible about the whole overarching thing and then
1: i I think i think so i know that that's what i would want if i was getting involved in a project um you know i I would want to to know and understand why i'm doing what i'm doing and how it fits into the wider picture and that can only help help a junior engineer um do 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 their their work better yeah Um, so yeah it
0: seems like such such an obvious thing to de- to say. I feel like we're talking about it like well that's really obvious that you mm. get but, but the thing is is that I mean I know I don't I don't I'm not specifically in the engineering um side of things but I know that from my early work experiences that wasn't always the case. Sometimes you would have um leaders or managers who would get you involved in a project and just it was almost like they just tell you what you need to know. You mm-hmm. know, to get the job done and you wouldn't always see that wider context. Yeah. So it seems like an obvious thing, but actually I don't know whether everybody always approaches it that way, that you know, that that some people could be so so focused on just getting the job done that yeah. they don't actually take the time out to to explain the wider context to people.
1: Perhaps, but I mean there's always the danger there that you think you've told them what they need to know, but you've you've missed something out yeah. crucial. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Yeah. So I guess
0: that I guess that's the thing is that we we just always want to encourage people to ask questions, find out as much as they possibly
1: can, and there there are no silly questions. Exactly, exactly. There there definitely are no silly questions, and you can guarantee that if you think you're asking a silly question, then everyone else who's sitting there in silence probably has the same question and they're too scared to ask.
0: Exactly, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Um, so I've got some quick fire questions for you, but just on this theme, as we're talking about kind of what advice you would give to the younger generation of people coming into this into this industry. um You know, we've spoke there about there are no silly questions. Make sure you speak up. But if there was anything else, any other little piece of advice that you would want to give to the next generation of people entering the workplace in such a changing world,
1: what would it be? Well, I I think it all. It's more in the theme. I think it all comes down to, to take ownership, take ownership for your work. Somebody once said to me, do your best. All you can do is your best, but really we seem to be doing your best. Use your initiative. You'll make mistakes. Everybody does. Learn mm. from them and and just embrace, embrace all the opportunities that come your way. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's about being um, sort of, Taking accountability. Accountability. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And yeah. um and not being afraid to fail. Because exactly. we all fail. And I think so long as you work within a team and within a company where failure is almost embraced because it's seen as it's a learning. It's a necessary thing on the path to greater understanding, isn't it?
1: It is. It's totally. Um,
0: is. So yeah, taking accountability for it and just kind of going, Okay, learn from that. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're all human. We all
1: do it. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Okay, so um, some quick fire questions, if you don't mind, Emma. Okay. Uh, So that we can really kind of get underneath your skin and get to know you a little bit more. Um, (laughs) Who's the person you most admire
1: and why? Goodness. Yes. So this, I've got two answers here, I think. And the first is, uh, there's no one person I most admire. I can admire people that I meet uh, in day-to-day life and in the public eye. Um, you can, I think you can take inspiration from loads of people that you meet daily, whether it's friends or family or clients and colleagues as well. Currently, I really admire my friend Wendy, who has had... little bit of a health scare a couple of years ago and has completely overhauled her lifestyle and diet and now looks fantastic but more importantly feels fantastic and i think wow that's an inspiration she's really put her mind to it and put herself first and 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 got that sorted yeah um i've admired clients that i've had in the past i worked with them a client called Stacy a number of years ago and I admired her and the way she worked because she was so exacting in what she required um, and so particular and how she wanted um, things done that it actually made me raise my game uh, and I learned so much because I've, I because through explaining to her why I was doing what I was doing it made me understand it more myself yeah yeah and um, but actually at the moment, um I think one person that I admire is I happened to watch recently the Richard Dimbleby lecture um, with Professor Dame Sarah Gilbert, who wow. was one of the creators of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. And oh, wow. um I watched that lecture and I I I would say I admire her because not I felt I admired all the work that she'd done. She explained the work that went into developing the vaccine, the challenges they faced and, and how they overcame them and how they managed to, to do it all in such a short space of time, which was, a, you know, that was impressive. But also the way she delivered that lecture, mm. um, you know, she's a scientist. She perhaps, she doesn't have the charisma of a, a media mm. personality, but she was very clear very controlled and um, just delivered it in in just quite I felt it was quite engaging and and fascinating in
0: a way that it lets people like me and you who don't understand how you develop vaccines understand exactly what's going on and I think that's the key isn't it is is kind of um, being able to take really detailed knowledge and being able to tell a story so that it makes everybody else understand it as well yes. is a real, a real skill and a real, you know, yeah, just a real skill in being able to do that. It's a,
1: yeah. It's so, uh, yeah. yeah. Being able I, to communicate that. I'm um, going to have
0: to dig that one out because I think I'd find that one quite interesting.
1: That is a good one. Yeah.
0: Um, tell me a habit or a ritual that you do that either improves your life or helps you to perform better.
1: Ah, well, yoga. I think a uh, yoga and breathing. Um, so I started yoga uh, about four years ago, um, and w- which is great. I mean, yoga is is good for your general health, physical health. But what I really have brought from yoga into stressful situations that I've faced is is breathing, um, breathing in for three and out for six before you go into any. Uh, you know, maybe a meeting that you have to facilitate or a presentation that you need to give. If breathing in and making the out breath twice as long as the in breath yeah. changes the brain, takes you out of fight or flight mode, and calms yeah. the nervous system, and actually, I found I find that technique really. Powerful works. Yeah. It does work. <laughs> I couldn't agree more.
0: Not on the yoga thing. I've got to say, <laughs> I've always been the kind of person who likes the idea of yoga and wishes that I was the kind of person <laughs> to do yoga. I know that sounds really ridiculous. That's like me and
1: running. Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> but it just hurts. Like I'm such an old lady, my joints and everything hurt. Oh, and I yeah. know that's the point. Yeah.
1: You're
0: supposed to go through that pain to get to the other side. But I always give up on the first go. Yeah. Um, but the breathing thing absolutely agree with I have um a son who is very emotional and feels stress quite quickly he's only really young as well mm. and I'm oh I always just say to him I just kind of grab hold of him and just go just breathe, breathe. in out and it just helps to just kind of calm things down a little bit it's amazing and um we also we need to reintroduce this actually we also used to do this at the start of some of the executive team meetings I would advise anybody to do this whenever you go into a meeting we would go on to a, a call and it was something that John Gilly introduced actually first thing you would do is just write everybody ground your feet which means both sit up straight both feet on the ground and we would do a mindful minute yeah where we would all sit there for like literally on the stopwatch, yeah. um, close your eyes and do the breath work for a minute. And it completely just transforms the way that you go into the meeting.
1: It's, it's amazing.
0: It, it helps you to kind of leave behind whatever happened before you came into the meeting as well. Yeah.
1: I it's really, um, I, it's just something that, um, yeah, I think everyone everyone could benefit from. And I am practising, what, what I, I find difficult still is the mind that you know to do it properly or to have um to go into a meditative state you need to kind Mm -hmm. of just focus on the breath and try to still your mind and that is really tough that's a um it's like exercising a muscle you've got to keep practicing to um to do it more easily but um even just breathing and trying to focus for a few minutes on your exhale your inhale and your exhale uh, yeah
0: yeah, I know. I couldn't agree more. No. I mean, yeah, exactly. And it's do what you can. I think just recognising that that is of benefit. We've got um, uh, a lady who works in our team called Somia, who is really, really spiritual. She's my little spiritual ninja. She's absolutely amazing. But she goes on um, retreats.
1: Oh yes. She went
0: on one just recently and it's literally meditation for like eight hours a day
1: oh right gosh
0: oh, yeah like extreme and even she says it's really really challenging uh-huh. um but she absolutely loves it and comes back like a completely transformed
1: wow yeah i, I need to work <laughs> up to that
0: <laughs> yeah. um okay third question if you had a dream you could make happen that would change the world for the better what would it be oh
1: goodness goodness are we allowed magic here um, absolutely absolutely yeah I think I think this might be in the in the same vein as world peace, but um you know obviously, I think that the the number one issue is climate change, and we're all looking for a, a sustainable, cheap source of energy, and that's but as well as all that energy consumption is is rising, and mm. I wonder if if we could all maybe try to live with less and yeah. not have the the needs to um demand all that energy. Mm. Um, I don't know. Uh,
0: I completely agree because I feel like we, we we've been thinking about it a lot within our family um over the last couple of years, um especially since the start of Covid. And I've noticed, almost without even realising it myself, the things that I've been saying to my children about just small little things, like when they're brushing the teeth, um, don't leave the tap running. Mm-hmm. But also, every time they spit the toothpaste out, you don't need to turn the tap on to wash that away, just do it at the end. Yeah. And I, I must just constantly be going on about it now because I've started to hear them tell each other off. <laughs> what the other one's doing it yeah. and i know that these things are all kind of small efforts but if every single person in the world watched the water consumption ate less meat turned off lights, you know, turned off lights, yeah. all of that kind of stuff it doesn't necessarily you know it's great if we could do things that were more radical Mm. um but sometimes you end up as an individual thinking is it really making a difference if I go upstairs and turn that light off Mm. um but you know if if everybody as a collective across the world did it that would be a huge difference
1: I know I know um
0: so yeah it's how we um how we inspire the
1: masses like yeah i know it's it's very difficult know. i've been doing exactly the same just small changes trying to use less plastic yeah. um t- going around constantly going around the house turning lights off yeah. um yeah it's it's, uh, it's as you say one it's such a small thing but uh, yeah yeah know, i've got to try
0: I've, I've started to think that i'm turning into my dad <laughs> do you ever do you, it, i think we all think that at some point don't we that we're turning into oh yes parents turning to get older into, yeah. but um yeah i tend to find that i'm kind of walking around the house with all the lights i'm going it's like we live in blackpool illuminations <laughs> i'm sort of going up thinking yep yeah, the, the more the transformation is complete and i've now officially turned it to my dad yes but...
1: yes well oh well, it's not bad
0: <laughs> um question number four uh what's on your adventure list
1: Goodness. Um, gosh, right, what I'm going to say now completely is against <laughs> what I've just said, <laughs> but um, I would like to go on a Rhine river cruise, I think. Oh. Um, I'm learning German at the moment yeah. and uh, I, I learned German at school and I loved it. And then I've not done German for 30 years, but I've just done a night class on it and uh, now think I'm totally fluent again um and i would love to go on i'd love to go on a river cruise anyway and and just practice german yeah. and and see some beautiful sights
0: i actually think that's quite admirable As as english speakers we can be quite lazy yes like the world gives us permission to be quite lazy yep. because generally our language is spoken across the world yeah i lived i lived for five years in the Middle East and just about learned how to say hello and thank you
1: (laughs) in Arabic,
0: which is so shameful. And, you know, we've got people within my team in particular who are from all different parts of the world with lots and lots of different um, language capabilities that they, I quite often tell them off for it because sometimes they're quite apologetic that they speak with an accent or that (laughs) their English isn't their first language. And I'm always going on saying this is something that you should be celebrating because you can speak multiple languages, which is just awesome. Like yeah. something that I am totally rubbish at. You should wear it as a badge of honour. I not completely agree.
1: Of. I mean, where yeah. I'm working at the moment, I'm working with a lot of Spanish engineers who are dialing into calls from Madrid and uh, they're having technical conversations in mm. a foreign and and. An, not their first language and I I don't know how they do it I think that's amazing and sometimes I'm on the call and maybe it's three of us two people from Spain and me and Mm. because I can't speak Spanish they've both got to speak English to each other and to me and uh, I think that's I'm in awe of that as well I know it's just amazing yeah
0: okay final question before we finish up tell me three people living or dead that you'd love to have dinner with
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right right okay i'm not sure how oh, let's think i'm not sure how they will all get on with each other but here we go <laughs> i think uh, firstly david attenborough okay yeah. i think what a career and a life he's had what stories he could tell us over dinner and mm-hmm. uh He's just an inspiration. I think I saw him age ninety five doing his speech at COP twenty six, and yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, I would also invite my grandfather, um, my mum's dad, who he died when I was eighteen, and you know that way. It's only since he's died that I've realised what a distinguished career he had. He was a a detective chief inspector in the the Glasgow police Um, in the 60s and 70s. He solved some of the most notorious crimes um, of that age. And, you know, I never really appreciated that when he was alive because he was Mm. just my grandpa. And I would like to ask him about all that. And then the third person I'd quite like to have is uh, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> right. Okay. Random. Why? <laughs> well, Kylie Minogue. I think I remember watching Neighbours when she was on it um, yeah. back in the eighties as Charlene Robinson. And then I remember she released her first single. I should be so lucky. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I bought it. it. I bought yeah. it as well because uh, it was Charlene from Neighbours. And and then here she is all these years later reinvented herself so many times very very successful um she seems like a really nice person as well and I would love to just ask her about her life and uh and yeah so I would have the three of them I'm not quite sure what my grandpa would make of Kylie (laughs) (laughs) Minogue
0: but it sounds like a really and I think that's something as well that we we could all kind of a piece of advice for the next generation speak to grandparents while they're still with us yeah, yeah. um it's something that I I used to have lots and lots of conversations with it, I actually only had one grandparent that was you know alive past me being a baby if you like um and yeah I remember just kind of delving into her head all the time trying to figure out kind of what what her life was like growing up and things like that and once they're gone that kind of gets lost but I'm still doing the same same with my parents now trying to kind of make sure that I'm hearing all the stories and so they can live on forevermore exactly I'm doing the same
1: with my parents now but that was great that you did that yeah for your grandparents Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely
0: Okay, it's been lovely getting to know you, Emma. Um, thanks so much, and I'm sure that the um listeners have, have have loved hearing your stories as well. Oh,
1: thank you. It's been lovely to talk to you too.
0: I know Emma described herself there as lucky to have discovered the career path she wanted to take early in life. I mean, I guess there is an element of luck involved in being exposed to something you can find a passion for early on. But I also think that Emma is a rare breed of person who walks through life with her eyes wide open. I mean, that's not to knock the rest of us who take a little longer to figure it out or change our minds multiple times along the way but Emma has a real clarity of vision, which is something to be admired. So she may not like to boast about her successes or even really recognise that she's making such a difference, but that's okay, because we can do that for her. If you've enjoyed this episode of Spark Generation and would like to hear more, please hit subscribe. Until next time, look after yourself and stay safe.